Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. The first Future of Student Affairs Summit was held last May and June on the campus of James Madison University. Today, we'll talk with several participants from the summit about the experience, their suggestions, and their insights, not only about the summit, but also about the future of student affairs in general. My guests are... Melanie Graham from Old Dominion University, Deja Kenyon from Clemson University, Alan Lawless from Spartanburg Methodist College, and Mandy Vitali from Clemson University. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Hey, Michelle. Thanks, Great Michelle. To Good to be here. I'm happy to be here. So let's get started. And before we jump into the topic, would you mind taking a moment and introducing yourselves? And if you can share your name, and then a little bit about who you are outside of student affairs and higher ed, um, but who you are as a person. What are your hobbies, things you're reading, watching, or listening to, whatever you would like to share. And Melanie, would you mind getting us started? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. So as introduced, my name is Melanie Graham. And I like to think that I'm well-balanced. Um, I am fortunate enough to be living close to home where I grew up. So I spend a lot of time with my parents and close friends. Um, and to be honest, that hobbies question always makes me stumble a little bit. I'm a doctoral student. So at times that feels all consuming even, even though it's not, it, it truly isn't. Um, and I do work hard to prioritize the beach and time on my bicycle, even if it's just riding a few blocks down the street on Wednesdays to the farmer's market and back. Um, lately, I've been reading a lot of organizational theories because I'm hunting for my dissertation framework, but I'm also reading Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen by Jose Antonio Vargas on a recommendation from a mentor of mine who works within the Cal State system where Vargas is a board member. So that and The Ugly American have been on my nightstand for the last few weeks. Great. Thank you so much. Deja, how about you? Hi everyone, my name is Deja Kenyon. Um, so to begin with, I think my biggest identity is just being a believer in Christ. And so that pretty much shapes how I see the world and how um, I perceive other people and to be in relation with other people as well. Um, some of my hobbies, so I really like going to painting classes. I don't like going to the painting classes where they give you a Blake canvas I like the ones where they're already outlined and I can just like draw it in myself uh that's just a little bit better for me so I don't see myself as uh too much of a creative person but it's something that I do enjoy it's very relaxing to me um I also like to to draw sometimes but also the same thing don't give me a a blank piece of paper I need to color in the lines for myself um some things that I'm reading like I said I'm a believer in Christ so I actually started reading the book of uh Job and it just talks about um this man who goes through a lot of hardships and um 
basically just being thankful, having a thankful heart, even when you are going through troubles and trials and um, tribulations in life. And so I'm really enjoying that. I also am a huge Hunger Games fan. So I believe, I think it's in November. Um, I'm kind of forgetting it. It's kind of sad. Something to do with President Snow. If you know, you know. Um, so I'm trying to read that book before November so I can see that. Okay, that's all I'm going to say, though. All right. So Deja, I am going to send you some information because we do not live too far from where they filmed some of the scenes from the Hunger Games district, whatever. I, I'm not an expert and I hope this doesn't offend you, but those oh. first scenes where they are. So, and like the store and all of that. So I'll send you some information. Well, let me stop being a nerd. It's probably right. district. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Very good. Um, Alan, how about you? What's up? Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Alan. Um, I, like Deja, uh, am really shaped by my faith. Um, I also spend a lot of time with my family uh, and friends. Um, love hanging out with the nieces and nephews. Um, and of course, my dog. We like to hike um, and, and hang out outside. What I'm really excited about this summer, I'm a, I'm a bit of a history nerd, um, and there are two books that are new to the James Garfield historiography, um, one about his assassin um, and one that's just a new biography. It's coming out next week. Um, I've already pre-ordered it, uh, and so my Fourth of July holiday will be spent reading um, a new book about James Garfield. I'm so pumped about that. Um, my life is terribly exciting, as you can tell. What kind of dog do you have, Alan? Uh, he is a mix of a lot of things, but mostly uh, Pitbull. Um, he's a rescue from Greenville, actually. Uh, he's four years old and full of a lot of energy. Yeah. So we, we do four to five walks a day, um, which in, in the middle of the summer is not the best. And there's really not the most fun in the middle of the winter either. But, you know, yeah. you sacrifice for love. Yeah, very good. Very good. All right, Mandy. How about you? Who are you outside of all the higher ed and student affairs stuff? All right. So hi, everyone. I'm Mandy. It's so nice to see everybody again, even if it's through the screen. Um, I tend to like describe myself and I'm literally looking around my office as little like artifacts, artifacts to like describe myself um, as both like a deeply reflective and deep person. Um, I spend a lot of time reflecting and journaling and also just extremely goofy and like I want to have fun and like make fun wherever I am so like I have like my quotes around here and like letters from people and I also have like a mini like fist bump thing um you know just like the fun things um and I was trying to think about like the moments that I enjoy outside of work and I think what both captures both sides of me is that like late night sleepover energy from a child um where you get to this point in the night you're having these like really deep conversations and also everything is funny um and so like you are just like switching between being so giggly and also like telling your deepest darkest secrets um and I think those are the vibes I like to emulate in my everyday life um yeah, I keep like a notes um 
a little note in my notes app of like deep questions um, that I also like pop into often. Um, if somebody is willing to like have those conversations with me, I like to keep those on hand. Um, I said before, I'm a big journaler, so I've been trying to explore a little bit more of my creative side. I think this year in grad school has been like really the first time that I've like thought of myself as a creative person and like have been like filling my cup that way. I also like didn't think previously that like writing was a creative act. Like I didn't put two and two together. So I think I've been exploring that a little more. I love being outside, being in the water. Um, any water is good to me. Ocean, lake, pool, you name it. I'm happy. Um, and I'm currently reading The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. My friend in the cohort has been begging me to read it. And so now I'm doing it. And every like two days I get like checked in on what what party you are at oh it's gonna get good so I'm like ah like I'm enjoying this but I'm also like this is kind of overwhelming <laughs> but yeah that's a little bit about me so you're a, a peer pressure reader huh um yeah I I would say so I think I um respond to positive peer pressure oh, a lot there you um, go. There you yeah go. Beautiful. Isn't that like student affairs? See, isn't that why we're all Sounds here? Very yes. <laughs> Are you liking the book? I am. So yeah. like, it was definitely a good recommendation. I think that'd be a little more awkward if I was like, I'm dreading reading this, but <laughs> it's been a good time. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you all sharing. Um, so let's shift gears just a little bit. And I would love to hear a story from each of you or a, a series of short stories, whatever you prefer, about how you got into student affairs and higher education work and your path into your current role. So if you could, as you share, highlight maybe some of those key people who have helped you along the way. And I know this is always a risky thing to ask. It's like the acceptance speech at the Oscars. Who am I going to forget? And um just take a risk, name a few people. Um, we always talk about that student affairs and higher education in general sometimes is such a small field. And so I always picture this part of the episode, people listening going, oh, I know that person too. And so then it sort of connects us a little bit more. Um, but if you could talk about a few people who've been instrumental, it can be from undergrad or before, grad school, um, where you are today. So someone who's influenced your life as you found your way into the field. And at this point, if Deja, if you wouldn't mind starting and tell us a little bit about your journey and your people. Yeah, so um, my student affairs journey started when I was an undergrad at UNC Greensboro. I started off as a consumer apparel and retail studies major. And although I really did enjoy, you know, dressing well and, and I was really into styling, um, I just saw that it wasn't for me in terms of making it a career. And so I switched my major to communication studies, but also around that time uh, was my second or yeah, my second year at UNC Greensboro, but my first year as a resident assistant. And so I was, you know, trying to figure that out as well. And I remember I had a one-on-one -on -one with my uh, supervisor at the time, his name 
name is Darren Jenkins. And we had our one-on-one and we went on a walk. And uh, like Manny was saying, I really like nature. So now I'm just like kind of picturing the trail we were on and how nice of a day it was. Uh, but he asked me, he was like, well, since you know you changed your major, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know. Like I'm in communication studies. Like I think it's pretty cool right now. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. And he brought up student affairs and he said, I really think you would be um, good at this. And so um, from that point on, we continue to have like more conversations about it. And uh, the next year after that, he was also my supervisor um, when I was RA. So it was a continuous relationship and it is still a relationship to this day. The other person I could think of is my honors college advisor. Um, her name is Miss Julie Boyer. And um, I love that lady. I love that lady so much. Um, she was one of my first advisors at uh, UNCG, and she just has a very kind and uh, caring spirit about her. And so that was something that I gravitated towards. Um, and she allowed me to be vulnerable with her. And she was just always someone who was in my corner and who also was uh, there to tell me the truth too, um, to tell me the truth with compassion. So I really appreciated her. Um, and then the last person I have, uh, her name is Janae Crossland. She actually graduated, um, I think she did her undergrad at Clemson University. And then she was in the Master's of Student Affairs program at UNC Greensboro. So at one point, um, and I think it was my second year being a RA, she was the graduate assistant um, for our residence hall. And so we eventually became closer. And when I started to apply to grad schools, um, she helped me. Like we would be on the phone almost maybe two or three nights out of the week. And she would really just um, dedicate, you know, time to me and, and helping me and, um, you know, answering all the questions that I had. So when I think about my journey to student affairs, I definitely think of those three people. And of course, I believe that there are so many other people um, who have helped me along the way and just was able to plant seeds. And so now today, um, I graduated from the Student Affairs Program uh, Clemson in May, and I'm working as an academic advisor um, over here at Clemson as well. So I'm advising our nursing students. And so far, it's really good and I'm enjoying it. Um, I've definitely been able to see that my passion area and part of my purpose of here um, being on earth is really being able to connect with people, especially on that one-on-one -on -one level. But um, just being a good communicator with people is something that I'm passionate about. Wonderful. Thanks, Deja. Alan, what's your, your path been? I often describe my path as reluctant and accidental. Um, and I think there are many folks in student affairs who at least can identify with the accidental piece of that. that not many people start college thinking, I'm going to I'm going to go into student affairs when I graduate uh, because you haven't been exposed to it. You don't know what it is. Um, so I uh, reluctant, though, is probably the most important word for me there. Um, in my senior year at Wofford College, um, Matt Hammett, who was at the time assistant dean and is now the Title IX coordinator there, um, invited me to a careers and student affairs panel, sat with me and said, you know, I think this is something you should really think about, Alan. Um, I was kind of directionless at the time. I would anticipated um, a career in law, um, decided that's not where I wanted to go, um, was planning then to, to get a master's in special ed. Um, because one of my passions in life is working with children and adults with special needs and their families. Um, but Matt was trying real hard. Um, and I just said, thanks, but no, thanks. I I've enjoyed college, but I'm ready to leave. Uh, 
Um, and so 12 years later, I'm still in college, I guess. Right. Um, I, so I, I left um, and right before the school year started, uh, there was an opening. And so Roberta Hurley, who was at the time vice president, dean of students at Wofford, a role she held for some 27 years, um, she called me and said, hey, we, we've got an opening. Can can you start next week? And I was like, well, should, can we talk about it first? You know, what does this look like? Um, my actual question was, can you give me somewhere to live? I love my family, but I'm ready to move out of their house. Um, and she said, oh yeah, housing's provided. And I said, great, I'm, I'm there. Um, and so that's how I became a student affairs professional. Um, I planned at the time to do it for about six months. I, I said, I'll, I'll do this until you can find somebody else's job as a resident director. Uh, and I absolutely loved working with students. Um, I, this is, um, you know, not a popular thing to say in residence life, which is where most of my career has been, it was not an RA. Um, and so I've always been a, an outcast on, on the staff, on the res life staff, because everyone starts out as an RA. Um, but I loved it. I, I really enjoyed working with students and especially walking alongside them in difficulty. Um, and so I, I changed my plans, uh, pursued graduate work in counseling, um, and then stuck it out in higher ed. And then maybe uh, earlier this year, I guess, um, had the opportunity to transition to, to the Dean of Students role um, at Spartan Methodist, um, which has just been a, a really exciting place to be in an exciting role to be in. Um, and so the team here has has really been, I think, transformational even in my my path and in my career journey, even after only a few months. Um, and certainly I also, as I'm shouting out mentors, um, Brian Lemire, who was director of residence life at Wofford for many, many years, um, is, is a, a primary mentor of mine and, and exercised a lot of patience um, and wasn't pushy in getting me to stay in the field, but certainly helped me see where I could fit in, where my talents could be useful and where I could grow. Um, and always doing that in a really humble and grace-filled way. Um, and so I have really appreciated that and try to emulate that as I work with, um, with young professionals, with uh, colleagues. That's the kind of student affairs professional I want to be. Uh, so I'm really grateful for those folks who've, who have helped me find my way along this accidental and oftentimes hard-headed and reluctant journey. Great. Thank you, Alan. How about you, Mandy? Yeah, so I went to James Madison University, um, where I kind of fell all over the spectrum as a student. Like I started off as somebody who was there just to have a good time um, and then was like a student who really struggled mentally and like contemplated whether I could like continue at the school. And then I was a student leader and I graduated in 2021. So my last two years were heavily impacted by the pandemic. So that kind of left me in this uncertainty, pre-occupational therapy student who like couldn't get any of her shadowing hours, all of that became time to like apply to grad school for OT and I could not write my essays. I just could not do it. I could think about all of the reasons I was passionate about and I don't know. And I'm a writer and I was like, okay, this like doesn't feel right if I can't write my essays. It just doesn't feel right to me. I decided not to apply to OT school and was kind of, I think, outward appearing 
aimless, but I had a plan that I didn't want to admit to anybody yet because, you know, once I admit the plan, then like there's ability to fail. So I think that was in my mindset a little bit. I loved being a student leader and I was realizing I think I loved it a little too much um, to just not explore it. And I realized, I think most importantly, like I loved who I was as a student leader. Um, And that was where I really started to feel like a sense of self and a sense of purpose and really enjoyed that space. So JMU has this really cool program called the Engagement Fellowship. This is a one-year position for recent graduates at JMU and it's a cohort experience. And so I knew the student affairs engagement fellow through previous leadership roles. And I, that was it. That was plan A. There was no plan B, no plan C, like that. I was getting that position. There was no option. That was the only option for me. Um, did I tell anybody about it? Absolutely not. So my parents, uh, you know, you gotta like figure out what you want to do. I'm like, yeah, it'll happen um, as long as I get this job. I kind of went into that, um, shocker, I, I got the job, so it worked out. Um, going into the job search uh, next year, I'm like, ooh, maybe just like a plan A isn't going to work again. But this role was in the vice president for student affairs office, which was absolutely incredible to like give me that experience as somebody with not even like a master's degree right out of college. So I got to work with Tim Miller, Carson Lonnet, and Miles Surrett, who are still pretty instrumental to me. Miles was when I started that position, position, he was also starting at JMU. And he has just come from Clemson from my exact office that I was working at. That bridge um, naturally formed, whether it was like intentionally um, in the beginning in my grad school search. I don't think I like drew those connections um, right away. But then when it came time for me to interview, he's like, oh, you do great working with my bestie, Kate Bradford, um, who I do work for now. And he was like, I have somebody for you to meet when you get there. Her name is Michelle Botcher. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. So that's kind of like my path into like my office right now. Um, So I'm in the Center for Student Leadership and Engagement. And like the connections just make sense for me. It was like enough where I was like, I have these connections, but it's also not predetermined for who I have to be here. I have enough connections for me to feel comfortable to grow, um, but also not like they have the expectation of who I am already. And for me, I love the work with students, but I also love the work with the people around me. I think one of my favorite parts about this field is the people that it draws to the field, both intuitive people who are pretty, I would say, in tune with their own development um, for the most part and like able to have those like reflective conversations. And these people just want to have fun. You know, we run icebreakers all day for people. Um, These people also want to have a good time. So I feel like for me, I am just as much in the work for the students as I am for myself. Being around these people absolutely fill my cup. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, there are there are some pretty phenomenal people that we get to work with. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Um, all right, you want to bring it home, Melanie, and you know, just kind of what what's your story? Who are the people along the way? Tell us. Yes, absolutely. You know, it always makes me laugh how many of us 
trip and fall into student affairs, which it should come as no surprise by now that that is the case with me as well. Um, my background is actually in English. So I hold two degrees in literature from Radford University and had a fantastic graduate assistant experience there teaching first year writing courses. Um, and that role came in tandem with a lot of mentorship. And so my program professors, they were really transparent and showed us the statistics of those who go on to get PhDs in English and the reality of tenured faculty positions in the humanities. Um, and, and so while I think I knew, especially during the second year of my master's program, that I was interested in a terminal degree, I also knew I didn't want to pursue one in English. But at the same time, I loved the ecosystem of higher education and recognized I needed to do some other things for a little while. Um, so I did. So I joined the Peace Corps and then I... And then I was awarded a Fulbright Public Policy Fellowship, um, working on youth and education reforms in Ukraine for a while. And, and then COVID-19 brought me home. But in that disruption, you know, it gave me time to sort of find my footing again and realize that it was okay that I had come home. It took me a really long time um, to make the decision to be evacuated from Ukraine, like longer, you might say, than a sane person would have taken. Um, and so in that, I really learned when in doubt, go home. And I'm I'm really thankful to have such a stable and warm um, home, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think, Michelle, I remember speaking with you. My parents have lived in the same house my entire life. Um, and so... I, I just don't run into too many other people who share that same experience. And so, so that's what I mean when I say I have a really, you know, concrete um, perception of, of home. So, so I came home and I realized that it was good to be back and that I wanted to stick around for a while. So um, I applied to Old Dominion University's higher education PhD program and was accepted. Um, and that acceptance came with an offer to be a doc GA somewhere. Um, and so in going back to, to my experiences, I had been in the classroom for a while. I really sought out my Fulbright public policy experience because I wanted to spend time outside of the classroom. And so I held on to that. So as I was interviewing for different GA positions, I knew I didn't want to be a teaching GA or, or really a research GA. I, I knew a lot about what I didn't want to do. And then thankfully, I was invited to join the special projects team within the Division of Student Engagement and Enrollment Services, so our student affairs plus enrollment management at ODU. And so with that, I'll give a big fat shout out to Dr. Karen Barber. Karen has been instrumental in shaping me into the professional I am today, and I work hard to channel her energy and, and match it. And just to keep up, if you will, but she hired me as her doctoral GA and then poured into me and we worked hard and fast, but produced quality and she was always willing to slow down and teach me. And she has since moved on from ODU, but 
thankfully we're still in touch and it was bittersweet because when she moved on, I was devastated, but then the next day they offered me her position. So, <laughs> so I currently serve as the director of special projects within the division. And, and that's been really fun because I, I largely serve as a project manager for 25 functional areas. So Whereas other people know everything there is to know about their specific office, I know just a little bit about every single office within the division, which I definitely, I view as a strength. And I, I also have to shout out Dr. Don Stansberry. You know, he's been integral in my own personal and professional development. So Don was serving as the VP of the division um, when I joined the ODU team. But even as the VP, he still had the time to invest into a new professional. Um, so I actually had the pleasure of serving as Don's TA in a master's class. We taught introduction to student affairs together. And I think in that experience is where our relationship really flourished. He would always and still does entertain my questions and answer them candidly. Um, and in looking back, I definitely took advantage of my positioning as a student and probably asked some questions that I really shouldn't have. Uh, but Don has never shied away from, from answering those questions and teaching me. And I have to also just recognize Dr. Dennis Gregory, who's my dissertation chair. Um, you know, his student affairs knowledge is informed by decades of work as a scholar and practitioner, and I'm super lucky to learn from him. So I think in a lot of ways, you know, I'll echo the same sentiments that Mandy put out. It's about the people, right? It's about um, realizing that no one's journey is linear, like not the students we're serving and definitely not the colleagues we're working alongside of. So I like to think that there's something to learn from everyone. And recently I just took my um, Gallup strengths finder test and realize that my number one strength is that I'm a learner. So just going to continue to, to lean into that. Wonderful. Remind yourself of that as you're on the dissertation journey. I'm a learner. I'm a learner. I'm a learner. Yeah. Thank you. That's oh, for sure. That's good advice. Well, thank you all very much for, for sharing about yourselves. We're going to Talk about this Future of Student Affairs Summit that you all participated in. And just to give listeners a little bit of context, um, this really comes from Miles Surratt, and Mandy mentioned him earlier, uh, Associate Vice President at JMU. And, you know, if, if you've never met Miles, as you get to know him, he's going to at some point say to you, what do you think about, and then it's going to be this thing that you never thought about, but you want to think about, and you get excited about it. So he really wanted to, we we are very good about talking about the challenges. Um, that's one thing that I think people who work in student affairs and higher ed pay attention. Um, we don't always respond as quickly or effectively as maybe we should, but we know what our our issues are, I think, a lot of the time. And so Miles was proposing, well, let's come together and not just talk about 
the problems, but let's brainstorm some solutions. And so he led the way. He reached out to SAXA. They were supportive. Um, so it is supported by SAXA. And really, the format included design thinking and bringing a relatively small group of people, but it was important to have students and very recent grads from uh, master's programs, as well as newer practitioners and more seasoned professionals, because we all bring different perspectives and skills and um, insights to the work. So it was a group of, I believe, about 14 people came together at JMU right around Memorial Day and spent some days together learning some strategies and then talking about some of the issues. So with that context, my question and whoever would like to start at this point, there's a whole bunch of demands on your time and lots of opportunities. What was it about this that caught your interest and you were like, yeah, you know, I'm just coming off the academic year. I'm exhausted. Let me put this on my plate as well. So what was it that that drew you to the opportunity? And again, whoever would like to start. I can jump in. So I saw the opportunity in the SACSA alert, the monthly newsletter that goes out. And I pretty much immediately knew that I was interested you know, just in the spirit of honesty, my university and even more specifically, my division has been in transition um, for the last several months. And some of my most favorite people are no longer with ODU. And it's one of those things where maybe I didn't realize what I had until it was gone. Um, but I was working within a very intentional bubble, a student-centered bubble where we were talking about the work as we were doing the work and I was learning so much along the way and then the bubble popped. Um, so I wanted to get back to that bubble, even if it was just for a few days. Right. Thanks, Melanie. So I also, I believe, saw it on the SAXA um, alert. Uh, I applied and I didn't get into it um, right away. And so I'm definitely a firm believer that, you know, what God has for me is for me. And so um, when I saw it, it was like, okay, you know, you dust it off and you you keep going, right? And so later on, I get an email from Michelle and she asks if I'm uh, still interested. And I'm like, yes, of course. Um, and so that is pretty much how I was able to um, get to the summit. And so, um, you know, I would say, delay is not always um, denial for you. And even in that first, uh, I guess that first round in the sense it was denial, but you know, you never know how it's going to work out. So um, really thankful. But what really caught my attention was just thinking about the future um, when it comes to student affairs. And even with my own personal journey, like sometimes I'll, you know, be thinking, I'm like, wow, I wonder how this is going to be in the years to come. Um, because I think about my time as an undergrad student, and I'm like, I had a, a supervisor at the time, the same supervisor, he told me, he said, you know, y'all are really spoiled here at UNC Greensboro. And whenever he said that, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. But now I know being on the other side. So I just wonder how that is going to continue to progress. Thanks, Deja. 
So I, I'll jump in as well. I saw the opportunity and decided that after, I don't know, eight or nine years in the field, I should probably consider myself a student affairs professional and jump into some exciting professional <laughs> development. Um, no, seriously, I, um, I, I think something you said, Michelle, we talk a lot about problems in the field, um, in higher education in general, and specific to student affairs. And the opportunity to take a step back with folks and look forward instead of just respond or react um, to what's happening in front of us um, was really exciting and, and I think is, a, is different than most other professional development offerings. Um, so often you see sessions offered at a conference that are helping us respond to issues, right? This is the hot topic of the week or the hot topic of the year. And we've got to learn how to deal with it, which is important and good. And we need that. Um, but that it, it can be kind of disheartening to sit there time and time again, hearing what's wrong and how we were going to have to respond and how we put out this fire, what resources we've got to figure out how to, how to manage to, to make it work. And so the opportunity to be a part of an optimistic professional development opportunity was really exciting. And also just practically speaking, coming from a, from a institution with limited resources, being creative about solutions is what we're all about here. And so I was excited to join other folks who were doing similar things. And I thought, this is going to be a good network for me to tap into later. If everybody's coming in saying, how can we be creative about these things today? Then in a couple of years and heads up, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you and say, Hey, help me be creative. Here's a, here's a, something we see coming down the pipe. Um, so I, that, it, it was just a really exciting you and, and unique opportunity, I think for professional development. And it ended up being um, I think that and more uh, than, than even what I expected. Wonderful. How about you, Mandy? Um, so personally, and I kind of mentioned my like connections um, in my introduction, this was like such a great opportunity for my JMU world and my Clemson world to collide. And I was like, this is so cool. And like that doesn't get to happen very often. Um, so I think personally, that was like a big benefit for me. I also wanted a place. I think I've been searching for this like through my graduate experience where I could both use like my mind that I got to use in the VPSA office and also my mind as a grad student kind of having both lens in the field and like use them both in one space. And I think I've been kind of like struggling to like find those spaces like as a grad student, pretty siloed um, and getting the opportunity to like exercise my mind in that way. I also was like reading the description. I was like, this is my ideal professional development opportunity. Like there isn't this, this is it. Like this feels like this was created for me. Um, like I am a relationship builder. I like, I mean, it was like a big sleepover. I mean, we didn't sleep in the same room, but I mean, like we were in Gray Street Apartments. Um, I was going to say we were in residential buildings. Okay. That sleepover is appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll go with sleepover. Um, so yeah, it was a big sleepover. We had the most intentional conversations about the field. Um, it was big picture thinking. It was my favorite place. Um, it just like, and I got to build so many new connections, right? Like I went because I was like, oh my goodness, this is so cool to like merge my worlds, but also like intentionally re relationship build and not in a way where I'm just like 
handing out business cards because that's what everybody else is doing at the conference kind of way. Um, so I was just like, oh my goodness, this is really exciting. I need to be there for this. Well, and thanks for that. You you all touched on this a little bit, but I want to ask the question if there's more you want to add. What were your expectations? So you see this thing, you're like, okay, let's give it a go. And now it's time you're getting ready to go to the, some of you are driving to the conference and get a two and a half hour detour because of things that happen. Um, but what, what were your expectations? What were your hopes coming into the experience? Um, I would say that I tried really intentionally to not have expectations going into it. Um, and all I knew going into it was it was going to be an intentional experience. I knew that from the way it was described. I knew that from the people that I knew that had a hand in running it. Um, I knew that the types of people that would apply to this experience, it was going to be an intentional experience. I didn't know what that was going to entail, but I knew I wanted to be there for it. Right. I'm not going to lie. At some point, because I told you, like, you know, I didn't get it the first time, I kind of put it in the back of my mind. So then when Michelle sent me an email, I was like, oh, I know the title and like pretty much what it entails. But like all the itty or the nitty gritty details, I didn't remember. So I was just like, kind of like Mandy was saying, just going into it with like, OK, you know, we'll see how this goes. Um, but it, it was great. I think one of the things I did think about just with me being myself, um, the only conference that I went to was, well, I went to two conferences, but the first one was SAXA. And that's been like the biggest type of conference that I've been to. But even then, I felt like for me personally, it wasn't as big. And so um, I was kind of like maybe a little weary about that. Um, but then I was reminded about how many people are going to be there and how it really is, you know, like you said, Mandy, about relationship building and very intentional. Um, and that was one thing that I really enjoyed uh, from the summit. Right. I initially had really high expectations. Get the email, I apply. Super excited about the opportunity. Um, and then I got the schedule and saw the names of people coming. And I didn't know anybody. I mean, Michelle, you and I had met years ago through a professional association briefly, but I didn't know anybody else in the space. Um, and I saw like day one, there was, I don't remember if it was icebreaker or something and like unpopular student affairs opinion. I know Mandy, you talked about doing icebreakers all day long. Um, I hate icebreakers. And so I get the schedule and I'm thinking, this is going to be summer camp for student affairs professionals. This sounds like my nightmare. And I was driving up and I was like, okay, make the best of it. It's going to be fun build connections. You're, you're going to get through it, Alan. It's, but I really was worried that, uh, so, so. Initial expectations really high. Night before expectations really low. <laughs> I am really glad to say that it exceeded my initial really high expectations, and it wasn't summer camp for student affairs folks. I mean, maybe it was in a way, but it wasn't um, quite as campy as I feared. Um, but I think that what made it really special was that it was such a small group of people who could intentionally talk. I heard someone say at some point. Um, we were so intensely focused on issues and problems that even our small talk was really intentionally devoted to issues in our field. Um, and we were having fun doing it. You know, it was, uh, so I, I, it was, 
it, it was much better than than the than the summer camp I envisioned of my nightmare. So um, for that, I am grateful. I think you just helped me find an epiphany, Alan. I think people go into student affairs because they love icebreakers or they want to control the icebreaker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I never it. thought about that until you said <laughs> that. But Absolutely. Um, Melanie, what about you? What was your what what were your expectations or hopes? I I will keep it short. I was just excited to be ebbing and flowing with people who are solution oriented rather than those who operate through a deficit lens. And I I I found that group. Um, so it was definitely nice to be a part of. Great. So one of the things we did is um, we asked people when they applied what they thought some of the top issues were, what were some of the key issues they were facing. So listeners, again, so you have some context. Some of those issues included cost and access to higher education, and that included financial aid and student loan debt and all of those kinds of things. Assessment, campus safety, career services, student enrollment. Um, policy and technology issues, and the value of higher education. The top issues that were identified included connections and belonging, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, staff retention, student success, and student wellness. So with all of that in mind, you each, so there were a couple of different groups, but one of them was your working group. And as a team, you chose an issue to focus on. So how how did your group navigate that and what issues did you land on in your conversation? Well, I can start by saying we, we wanted to discuss all of the issues and my group especially really struggled in narrowing it down to our final focus. Um, who's to say if we really even got there, but my group, so shout out to Isaiah Lucas, Destiny Payne, Kate Radford, and Xavier Williams. Um, we took on diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging. Um, and I'll be honest, that topic stretched me. We we were working on building and protecting really a culture of DEIAB um, beyond intentional affinity spaces. And this line of inquiry produced a lot of questions. Um, so for example, what does servitude look like for DEIAB work? What comes after the DEIAB statement? Um, what does accountability in DEIAB um, work look like? Um, what does it look like to help carry the burden for our DEIAB colleagues? So we were able to dive um, into conversations about decentralizing the work and, and how do we go about transitioning DEIAB work from a box that must be checked to a standardized or rather an institutionalized way of living and working and thriving. Um, and it was hard. It was hard work. And, you know, I will, I will own it as a white woman. There were times when 
when I was uncomfortable, but I also recognize that the things that come from discomfort can be really productive and positive. And, and that was part of the reason why I sought out this experience. You know, there was a moment where I looked around and I think another group, Mandy, it might've been yours. You were talking about um, graduate assistantships and uh, kind of how to shift the culture surrounding those. And overhearing that conversation, I thought to myself, wow, what a great group over there. (laughs) Um, But then I had to refocus on my own group and the work that we were doing. Um, And it was challenging, but it was very rewarding. What about other groups? What did you talk about and how did you get to your topic? So I was in a group with Alan um, and it was great. We had a great time, Uh, but we talked about student wellness and Alan, feel free to add on to anything. But one of the main things that we were looking at is like, how do we motivate students to, um, to take ownership over their own student wellness. It's like, we want to have the resources for our students, but we also want the students to, to feel empowered to, um, to, you know, do it for themselves as well in terms of like taking ownership of their student wellness. Yeah. And it was really hard, like Melanie said, to, to narrow down to the topic for a couple of reasons. Number one, we all brought different ideas and desires for the week Um, and because all the issues are so interconnected right you can't really talk about it's hard to talk about wellness without talking about belonging it's it's difficult to talk about belonging without talking about admissions policies it's difficult to talk about admissions policies without talking about retention and um, it's difficult to talk about all of that without talking about staff wellness and staff retention and Um, so we spent the first day, I think really knowing we wanted to hone in on wellness, but kind of buzzing around as a staff wellness, as a student wellness, is it every, is it campus wellness? What do we talk about? Um, but I think in the end, our, um, our focusing on student wellness and kind of identifying the problem of student ownership of their experience, like Deja said, um, was probably about the best thing we could have focused on. And, And that the team that we were working with, it was, it was really nice to see each other feet, to, to see everybody feed off of each other. Um, and to start with like 10 different ideas that we wanted to talk about. And at the end of the week, we boiled it down to one idea, um, with some workable solutions, I think. So that, that was a really encouraging process to see. And I'll jump in. I was in the third group, so we have good representation here. And I, So our group went with kind of the staff experience. So I believe our problem statement was something along the lines of how do we make student affairs professionals feel valued in their work? And again, we were kind of all over the place and we kind of came to this, I think, based on like our group's passions. And so I am a graduate student and I had a recent graduate, um, of a grad school. I didn't really know how to phrase that. A recent grad of grad school um, in my group, Anne-Marie Patricia, who is a grad student at Morgan State, um, and Rosanna, who's faculty um, for a student affairs program at Elon. So we kind of had this like shared 
kind of experience and the grad student um, experience and both like wanting to make this a better environment for both Rosanna, her students going into the field and then us like going into the field. So I think that's kind of what centered us on this like experience as a student affairs professional. And we also were talking was like kind of how both groups were like, how do we narrow this? Because there's pressures like nationally and like from outside of student affairs like how do we I think there's common conversations of how do we prove our value as a field but also like within the field and within the division how do we make ourselves like feel valued internally um so we focused on the second and talked about how do we make student affairs professionals feel valued in the in their work with what we more have control of to like set up in our own divisions so that's kind of what we spent our time talking about. So you you have your groups, you have your issue, and then the the structure or the tool or the guide that you were given to sort of navigate through and, and have your conversation and work toward, um, I think solution is not the right word, but strategies maybe. Um, to deal with the topics that you identified. Jonathan Stewart from JMU facilitated some design thinking activities. So what are your thoughts on that? How did that work for you? Are there things you took away from that design thinking concept that you might find useful in the future? So I have kind of been describing this design thinking process as it's solution oriented, but not solution binding. We are not sitting around talking about problems on an endless loop, but we're not rushing to solutions either. You saw people struggling with both ends of that. People who wanted to keep defining the problem because the problem is so complex and can keep being defined over and over again. And you had the people who like just wanted to jump to the solutions and solve the problem. And I think Jonathan did a really great job at delaying that process for us and making us sit in that uncomfy um, problem solving brainstorming phase. I was loving it. I'm like, throw me. So one of the activities we did way towards like the later end of the week um, when we were, I think it was called like prototyping solutions. And he's like, come up with a solution, including a sandbox. I'm like, oh yeah. And some people in the group are like, what? And I'm like, yeah, give me like a sandbox under my desk, you know? And so you have people like all over as to how they processed and what how they're used to thinking. But we got to... Again, Michelle, you said like strategies rather than solutions. And I think that's really fitting for this um, because I think solutions are so like binary and defined, but I don't think that we would have been able to get to where we are without the long um, process. And I think learning the process will help me when I'm looking at other problems, right? Like I think there is value in me doing this with the how do we make staff feel valued and I think there is value in me going through this process as I continue in my career to have this in my toolbox. Great. Even now as we're discussing of course I'm reflecting on the experience that the entire point of of this episode but I found myself nodding to what Mandy was saying that we were uncomfortable that it was hard I'm like yes it was, it was all of those things and more. 
But yet, I think I was pretty much giggling the whole way through. I mean, back to the sleepover vibes. And we were tasked with using the design thinking framework, you know, in in my head. I mean, like taking your own experiences, using your own experiences without letting those experiences inhibit ideas. Um, So kind of a heady process to wrap your head around. But Jonathan did a great job of walking us through, you know, empathy mapping activities where we were trying to, as described, think of what other populations would be thinking or feeling or saying, right? So for example, students or new professionals or, you know, senior level staff, so on and so forth. And then we went out and did interviews with people with, within our own communities. And we talked about surveying drivers, right? So what are the drivers contributing to these issues, right? Policies, money. And I think my favorite, which it's funny to hear me describe it as my favorite, because in the moment, I don't think I particularly cared for it at all, but (laughs) the fiction play that we were tasked with doing. So essentially we, you know, imagine four quadrants um, and we picked two two of those drivers that I previously referenced. And so like, if you're talking enrollment and funding, right, you're mapping out possibilities with enrollment and funding in each of those four quadrants. So what happens in 10 years if enrollment is low, but funding is also low? Think about scenarios that that could have happened to get us to that point. Or the opposite, right? What has happened in our society if enrollment is high and funding is also high? So the variations of that. And so we were discussing the climate and the culture and everything that would or could have happened to get us to that point. And, you know, there was one instance when I'll, I'll own it, my group was spiraling. We were out of control. We had no idea what's going on anymore. We decided we were going to abolish the U.S. Constitution and start over. <laughs> so, um, so it was frustrating, but really fun. Something Melanie said made me think about this. One of the tools that I think I have taken away and, and have already used and am excited to use more with our team is problem conceptualization. Um, I think that's a really important part of design thinking. Um, And like Mandy said, you're not sitting in the problem, but you're also not overlooking the problem. You're not just looking for a Band-Aid to fix the symptoms. You're actually trying to get to to what's going on. And so often, I think because we're responsive and reactive to things, because we frankly are stretched in and have to be, um, we do a lot of Band-Aiding. And so to walk away from, from this experience and say, okay, now I've got the tools to sit down with the team and say, Sure, we may need a Band-Aid here, but let's also really try to dig into this problem. Let's do the empathy mapping. Let's look at the drivers. Uh, Let's really explore this so that we can find what is causing this issue and then develop a solution for it that works and that's lasting and not something that we have to redo every every five months or something because our Band-Aid keeps falling off. So that, I think, is probably the most impactful tool that I've walked away from this with. I mean, you all said wonderful things, so I'm not going to repeat any of it, but yes, ditto. All right. Another aspect of the time together. So you had your working teams. 
um, or working groups, but you also got to spend some time in sort of peer groups. So again, the the people who identified primarily as students, whether that was current students, um, Xavier's about to start a graduate program. Deja had graduated about 15 minutes before we had this event. Um, and then you had newer professionals and more established professionals and colleagues. What what were those conversations like? What were some of your takeaways from that, that time? Um, I really enjoyed that time. I know uh, me and Mandy, we were in a group together, um, Xavier and uh, Anna Marie as well. And so it was good just knowing their experiences, knowing their experiences and, and the things that I guess through their graduate experience, you know, pique their interests or what are some of the, the issues that they're facing or how they even see the future of, of student affairs. And so I really enjoyed that time because it was a time that we could uh, find something to relate on. Not saying that you couldn't find that with all the other groups that we had, but that that time I feel like it was like very intentional, like, hey, we're going to be focusing on this part of ourselves um, together. And so, like I said, in general, I I really enjoyed the time that I, I spent with them. And it was good just listening to everybody. Like, I'm really big on that, but just listening to people um, and, you know, maybe seeing if there's any differences or similarities, but regardless, being able to respect someone's opinion um, and re respect their experience because it's theirs. Aside from the fact that I was considered a seasoned professional, which I still don't quite feel um, old or seasoned enough to be, uh, uh, it, it really was a, a, an amazing experience. Uh, Rosanna and Kate and, and Miles in, in our group were so helpful, not just in conceptualizing what we were doing and talking through how we were working through our problems in, in our individual groups, but I, I walked into the experience with some professional questions um, that weren't really going to be addressed in a design thinking workshop, but like, hey, if I could find somebody who has the answer to these questions, that would be really good and really helpful. Uh, and so having that group to sit down and say, look, like I'm, I'm new in my role. I have these very specific set of experiences. Here are some challenges I'm facing that I've never faced before. Help me, help me talk through this. And almost immediately, um, I, you know, I, I came away with more questions than I had answers because the answers were so good. Um, and there was so much to them. I think there were so many fulfilling pieces of this experience, but having that network and knowing I was you know, emailing back and forth with, with Kate earlier and our group's going to plan to get together over zoom every couple of months, um, which is going to be really nice. Uh, to have a group outside of your institution, outside of your normal network, to just say, "Hey, I've got I've got this thing going on. I want to talk to somebody else about it." Um, that was so affirming and a really positive piece of the experience. I'll agree. I shared time with the group for early career professionals, and I think several of us have already touched on it. But the beauty of that time for me was was that it became whatever any of us needed in the moment. We weren't so much discussing our career paths or navigating office politics as mid-level managers or, or anything of the like, but rather we will we were able to listen and pour pour into whatever someone specifically needed. Um, so one day we were discussing Confederate statues and monuments on college campuses and beyond, and 
the implications those carried um, for all of us. And another day, you know, selfishly, we were talking all about my dissertation framework. Um, and so, um, so it was intentional time to build relationships and, and get to know Summit colleagues on a more personal level. And it worked. Great. Yeah. Um, so I was in Deja's group and I enjoyed all of the things that Deja said as well. I'll also name that in our debrief groups, we had the opportunity to like lead some sort of the summit experience. So the um students, we did some sort of team building, the um, newer professionals did a wellness activity and the seasoned professionals did like a working with administrators activity. And I kind of, I enjoyed that part because I feel like one, I got to know everybody a little more um, as they were like leading the activities. And I felt some sort of like ownership in the experience and that I got to like contribute um, in some way to the experience. So I really liked that aspect as well. So as you, again, as you're reflecting, and I know you've spoken to this a little bit, what are some things you really enjoyed? But also, what are some things, if this happens again, what are some things you would encourage SACSA and the planning committee to kind of keep in mind, whether it's recommendations or additional opportunities? I would say one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about, and I talked about it so much while we were there, but I really love uh, JMU's campus um, because it's beautiful, but also just the fact of like, um, I am a person that likes to be outdoors because I'm, I'm just usually always cold inside. And so it was just perfect weather and everything. But also, I really like the, the times that we were inside and the different areas we were in. You could tell that they were intentionally built for community building. And so that just I feel like that helped our conversations that helped um, with the activities um, that helped with like, at least with my thinking that's one thing that I really enjoyed. And I would say, uh, you know, if you all have the opportunity to do it another time to just, uh, again, be intentional with the space that you um, end up picking. Right. I will say um, I really enjoyed the fact that there were tiered levels of professionals included. Um, I think that's an aspect that can hopefully be retained moving forward you know, I think just having a conversation a few days ago about NASPA's um, compass report that they put out, which also centered the future of, of student affairs um, and identified four critical areas. Um, but all of the task force members are senior level professionals. So you could perhaps make the argument that in the future of student affairs, they will not be there. Um, so I liked that. I think there's value in in adding all of the tiered voices. So just, you know, big, big props to you all for considering that. Um, I think in the future, it'd be great if, if SACSA could be infused even more. So like what I mean by that is 
Um, perhaps if the timing continues to align in the way that it did for us, there could be dedicated time to work on program proposals, you know, ahead of the deadline so that um, we, we certainly walked away with more than enough, but to, to be able to walk away having, you know, submitted or drafted at the very least um, a program proposal or, or something of the like would have been super cool as well. I love that. Um, I have a huge list of things that I enjoyed. Um, I think that um, it filled my cup professionally. Like, I think that's like something really strong that I'm walking away with. And like, since coming back, I feel really refreshed in my work. Um, and I also had the value of like going with Kate Radford who like we're in the same office and like we carpooled together. Um, so that was a really great experience as well, but also we're back in the same office together with this same experience that we just had. And so even though like it may seem small, but we've already like shifted some things and like we, in what I found with looking about how like staff feel valued, a big piece of that is recognition. And so we've always done like kudos in our staff meetings, but it's always been like, who's had the most recent program? Let's shout them out. We were talking in our car ride. I was like, okay, yes. And because that was a big motto of our experience. Um, how many times did Jonathan say yes? And um, who knows who's to say? But what if we add intentionality to that? And like, what if we can shift it and I can shout out a colleague who really made me feel valued that week or a colleague who always makes me feel really good and light, relights my why for me. We did that in our staff meeting and yes, and we added those things. I just feel like it already shifted a little bit of our culture. Even if our solutions or strategies that we came up with specifically may not have been implemented or not right away, there were still little pieces that we were able to implement. I, I'm like, what is the tangible outcome of this experience? And I think like we always, so much of our work is like in our heads and like this hard to define our work. Something that I would like to start doing, and I don't think that it's too late for like our group to do was I would like to somehow like figure out a way to update each other as to like how we used this in our work. We didn't make a group me. I don't know if that's the best method. And maybe we can talk about that afterwards and like maybe future groups. Um, but like, I want to, one, I want to see how y'all are doing. Um, I've grown to care about you all. <laughs> um, and I am curious how this is like continuing to impact your work. And I think we can continue to be inspired by each other. I'm going to yes and all of that. <laughs> yeah, th those are really great ideas. And again, the experience was fantastic. The, the piece that I thought of leaving that may improve for future cohorts is engaging with a more diverse group of professionals. Most of the folks there were from large publics and there are a lot of professionals in small private um, or small publics, right? In community colleges and in really different spaces. And I think those perspectives could have enhanced our program even more. Um, I think it could have taken things to the next level. Things were fantastic and wonderful. And I'm 
incredibly grateful for the group that we had. Um, as Mandy said, I have grown to care about all these folks um, as friends and as colleagues, but it is, it's nice to walk into a space and know that you're not the only small private in the room. And, and so that is kind of my hope is that maybe folks listening, um, if this is an opportunity that's provided next year, that folks at small schools will say, hey, this is a really cool, worthwhile opportunity because it is. Um, I can definitively say this has been the best professional development thing I have done in my career. Um, and I've, I've done a good bit. Um, this has been the best. And so there's a lot of value in it, not just for folks at large institutions, not just for folks with really traditional student affairs backgrounds, but for everybody at the student affairs table. Um, and I, that would be my hope is that more folks can come to that table. That's great. All right. So as we start to move toward wrapping up, could you each share one takeaway? And it could be something very practical and work-related. It could be something more personal and like a, an important connection that you made or a moment that you shared. Uh, briefly, I would say mine would be a denying of self. Sometimes it's like so easy to get caught up in like what you're doing and what you're about. And uh, with the summit, it was great to, even with that small environment, it was great to be around other people and to share ideas and um, just to be in community. I will share a name, Isaiah Lucas. Um, we, before the summit, had an ODU connection, but it was really loose. Um, so spending this time together, we really got to know each other on a deeper level and we shared our professional aspirations and many, many laughs. Um, and he is the type of person that says your name in spaces in your absence. And, and that's powerful. Um, so I'm grateful to have made that connection with another young professional. Um, and I have no doubt that our personal and professional relationship will continue to grow um, as we climb together. That's awesome. I think for me, the value, Melanie alluded to this earlier, the value of intergenerational spaces of, of talking to folks who aren't in your tier, so to speak. We had the opportunity kind of outside of our working groups, outside of our professional groups, at some point to, to talk with folks across those tiers. And that was really helpful for me to understand what's going on for new professionals, what's going on for emerging professionals, um, what's going on for our students. And that has tremendously shaped the way I think about the work that I do. I have found it helpful since then to reach out to people and say, hey, here's something I'm struggling with. We're not in the same tier, right? You may not work in this area of student affairs and you may be brand new to the field, but help me understand what's going on for you when we talk about this issue that kind of perspective taking, that that was just hugely important, I think. I want to add that I think this experience gave me more self-efficacy around innovation, reaffirmed for me that things don't always have to be done the way they've been done. And I think just being around Miles Surrett does that for me. I think he really gets me thinking. And that's one of the reasons I love being around him so much. And I think so much of like the way I perceive the field um, and my criticism of the field and not necessarily in a negative way, but more in a um, innovation way comes from like being around him in such fundamental 
time in my career. It just reaffirmed that like brainstorming isn't a waste of time. I think sometimes like it kind of gets perceived like that. And like, I know, like I've sat in staff meetings and I'm like, we have ran this circle before, but it reaffirmed for me that it is a strength that I'm able to do this and I'm able to sit through this and just really brought my self-efficacy up in that realm. Thank you so much, everyone. Is there anything that I should have asked or anything you haven't had a chance to share yet that you want to speak to? I I would just like to take a moment to acknowledge that the summit's didn't just pop out of thin air, right? It was dreamed and facilitated by some stellar student affairs all-stars. So Michelle, our gracious host today, was instrumental in our successful week. And really your warmth and curiosity and compassion allowed for all of us to show up as our authentic selves. So really thank you for that. Jonathan Stewart's leadership and patience through new and challenging design thinking activities was unmatched. And Miles Surrett not only shared his home institution of James Madison University with all of us, but challenged us to use our brain power for productive change. And so really thanks to all three of you. Um, I can say that I definitely left feeling inspired and I'm sure the same is true for others as well. Well, thank you for that. That's very kind. And I agree with you about what you said about me. I'm just kidding. I agree with all three parts. No, all all true. (laughs) You're very kind. I do appreciate it. Well, okay. We're going to start to wrap up. I do have one more question for you. It can be related to what we talked about today, or it can be something completely separate that we haven't touched on. But before we go, what is something that right now is giving you hope? And Alan, if you wouldn't mind starting us off, what's bringing you some hope? Sure. And I'll, I'll keep it kind of focused on what we've been talking about. I think this gives me hope, this conversation, the conversation we had um, at JMU, as I'm listening to Mandy and Deja and Melanie talk about the things that they've taken away and are, are now taking to their institutions, getting to meet so many folks in the field with passion and care and concern for students and colleagues and just people in general, that gives me hope. These people in this space, um, the 17 or 18 folks who uh, we went through the summit with, they give me hope. Um, yeah, and, and for that, I'm immensely grateful. Thanks, Alan. Mandy, what's bringing you hope? I would say I've been like reflecting on this and the idea of non-romantic love is really giving me hope lately. I feel like I'm in a time of my life where I'm feeling platonic love blossom. And it's a really, really great feeling. I think that also comes with like feeling truly invested in professionally. I think my favorite part of the grad experience is the amount of people that have poured into me. And whenever I'm overwhelmed or inundated with the mundane, I go back to and I like even mentioned it earlier when I was talking about what I love about student affairs is I just feel so lucky to spend my time with the people that I'm currently surrounded by in my life. That's great. Melanie, what's your hope right now? I am one hand worth of weeks. So five (laughs) um, away from finishing my doctoral coursework. And 
I know that there's many more milestones to accomplish between that and adding some letters to my name, but I am working hard to enjoy every victory along the way. Excellent. Congratulations. All right, Deja, bring us home. What's what's your hope right now? Uh, so my hope is in my faith. My hope is in um, in Jesus and what he has done for my life and through me and through the people that I know. And I know that everything else and everybody in the world could change, but um, he's not going to change. His love doesn't change. And so that is who I'm going to continue to put my hope in. And I've, I've seen it. I've seen him work in my life um, and through other people. So continue just to, you know, have my faith to be increased. Um, and that inspires me to do what I do today. Beautiful. Thank you for that. All right. Well, thanks to all of you. I know I just decided it's never that we're not busy or we never have a slow time. We're just differently busy in every season. So you're very generous to spend some time in conversation today. And and this one really felt like community too. So I like that. I would like to leave you all with a quote. So today's quote is from Ralph Abernathy. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. My name is Michelle Botcher. It has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.